Judges 13 and Isaiah 9. We were looking at those together because we were talking about a particular angel. That should jog your memory. Turn to Judges 13 and Isaiah 9-6. Our review was pretty much the same. We're talking about angels and we've discussed everything from their history, whatever history the Bible gives us. They're real. They exist. What is their purpose? Is it just, are they just created because simply just because God has the ability to create them and they serve no purpose or is God just showing off, showing us what he's able to do, what he's able to create? No, every single angel has a purpose, serves a purpose, has a function, rules and responsibilities, and we've been discussing that, and we've looked at angelic ranks, and we've looked at their domain, things of that nature. We left off at this particular angel, the angel of the Lord. Sometimes he's known as the angel of God, Malak Elohim or Malak Yahweh. And so we looked at this particular angel because it seems like this angel speaks as if he is the ever-living God. And that's very interesting because that's not the role of an angel. This angel, it doesn't appear that he speaks on behalf of, it appears that he speaks as if he is. He makes a lot of very interesting, powerful statements that normally an angel wouldn't make. This angel makes covenants with individuals. That's not the job of an angel. That's the job of God. This angel says, I will. I will bless. I will multiply. And of course, the last angel to say, I will, got in trouble. So we looked at this particular angel. We looked at him in Genesis and we, uh, we saw him in Exodus when Moses was looking at the bush. We found out that the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the midst of the fiery flaming bush. But a few verses down, we find out that it's God. God speaks or his voice comes from the bush. And even though Moses was looking at the bush, all of a sudden he hides his face. Well, Moses, why would you hide your face all of a sudden? We also looked in Judges chapter 6. The angel of the Lord appears to, to Gideon, and when the encounter is done with, Gideon makes this statement that he, he's, as if he's excited or surprised or caught off guard that he's able to look at this particular angel and not fall dead. And the angel you know, comforts him and says, you know, you're not going to die. Well, what was that about? The statement was very similar to Moses hiding his face. We ended up at Judges 13 and Isaiah 9, which I'm sure you're there by now. In Judges 13, we have the account of Samson. Beginning part of that chapter, we see his birth. And then in Isaiah 9, 6, we're told of something about our coming Messiah. How many of you know that the Old Testament frequently speaks of the coming Messiah in various places? The gospel has been proclaimed early. As a matter of fact, 
the earliest proclamation of the coming Messiah is in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, when God is speaking to the serpent. All right, Judges chapter 13 and Isaiah 9, 6. In Judges chapter 13, I want you to look at, let's start with verse 15. Judges 13, 15, with your finger also on Isaiah 9, 6. Judges 13, 15 says, Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you, and we will prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food, but if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord, for Manoah did not know he was the angel of the Lord. And we also discussed this New King James Version has some interesting capital letters that show up, which would make us ask the question, well, why the capital letter there? Is this individual someone important? Our latter part of verse 16, for Manoah did not know he was the angel of the Lord. Verse 17 says, then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name? That when your words come to pass, we may honor you. Manoah asked the angel, what is your name? Now, before we read verse 18, flip over to Isaiah 9, 6. Isaiah 9, 6 it says, for unto us a what? Child is born. It says, unto us a what? Son is given. Now, why would it be worded that way? Because apparently, it's talking about the same person. It's not like the child is someone and the son is someone. But why is it worded this way? For unto us a child is born, yet at the same time, the exact same time the child is born, a son is given. What is that about? Well, very simple. How many of you know that Jesus, the Christ, when he walked this earth, somehow, some way, God managed to work out an individual to be 100% man and at the same time, 100% God. So the verse here, normally I'd, ha I'd have you write down a chart, but that's not necessary. This verse here in Isaiah 9, 6 is referring to Christ's humanity and his deity. It's referring to both. For unto us a child is born refers to his humanity. For unto us a son is given refers to his what? His deity. When you look through scripture, you see some very interesting titles that he's given. For example, he's known as Jesus Christ. Did you know that? But did you also know he's referred to as Christ Jesus? Well, what would be the purpose in sometimes calling him Jesus Christ and sometimes calling him Christ Jesus? Very simple. Jesus Christ refers to his humanity. Christ Jesus refers to his deity. The one that is known as the son of man is also referred to as the son of God. Son of man refers to his humanity. Son of God refers to his deity. So the scripture says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called something. Now, one thing that's very interesting about what his name is called is that within this latter part of Isaiah 9-6, this verse confirms the triune God. It confirms the triune God. It says his name will be called Wonderful. Well, who's it talking about? 
It's talking about Jesus, is it not? Because the verse, the beginning part says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. So the context is Jesus the Christ, yet it says his name will be called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Well, he's the son, he's the word, he's not the father, but the verse talking about the Christ says that he's Everlasting Father. After wonderful, it says counselor. It's a characteristic of the Holy Spirit. So we have a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. I want you to key in on one word. It says his name will be called what? Wonderful. That's what his name would be called. His name will be called wonderful. Turn back over to Judges 13. Look at verse 17. Isaiah 9, 6 said his name would be called what? Wonderful. Judges 13, 17 says, Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name that when your words come to pass, we may honor you? Isaiah 9, 6 says what? His name shall be called Wonderful. Judges 13, 18 says, And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is Wonderful. The traditional says secret, which translates into wonderful. Wow, that's that's awesome. The angel of the Lord says, why do you ask my name? Seeing it is called wonderful, his name shall be called wonderful. This angel, the one we read about in Genesis 16, 21, Genesis 22, Genesis 31, Exodus 3, Numbers 22, Judges chapter 2, Judges chapter 6, and right here in Judges chapter 13, this angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Christ. This is Christ before entering the womb of Mary. This is Christ active, active in the Old Covenant. Matter of fact, Christ was more active than the Father and the Spirit. I'll show you that in a minute. Now, the phrase is angel of the Lord. There are other places in Scripture, though, where we see angel of the Lord, and we don't see these same characteristics. Let me show you. Look at Judges chapter 5, verse 23. Judges... Judges 5, that's not right. Okay, go to 1 Samuel 29.9. Let's try that. 1 Samuel 29. 1 Samuel 29.9 says, Then... Akish answered and said to David, I know that you are as good in my sight as, what does it say? It doesn't say the, does it? It says as an angel of God, which lets us know this is not a specific angel. This could be one of any. Just simply an angel of God, not the angel of God. All right, look at 2 Samuel 2 Samuel, uh, look at chapter 14, 
Look at verse 17. 2 Samuel 14, 17 says, Your maidservant said, The word of my Lord the king will now be comforting, for as the angel of God, so is my Lord the king in discerning good and evil, and may the Lord your God be with you. Let's look at something else. Look at 2 Kings 19.35, and then we're going to make an observation. 2 Kings 19.35. When you have it, say, I have it. 2 Kings 19.35, are you there? All right, it says, then it came to pass on a certain night that the what? That the what? Angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. Okay, now, up until this point, all the verses that we read early about the angel of the Lord, what did you notice? Wasn't it very interesting how this angel spoke? Wasn't it very interesting how this angel conducted himself? But now we see the same words in Scripture, and there are some things absent. This angel's not even speaking. For some reason, the translators didn't capitalize the A. It appears that this is some specific angel that receives assignments and completes those assignments. For example, in verse 35, he doesn't even speak. He just slays 185,000 soldiers. Now I'm going to give you two, two thoughts here. I am not the only one that believes that the angel of the Lord that we read about earlier is the pre-incarnate Christ. There are many that teach this. However, there are some that would say, well, I don't know if I could go with that because if we say that the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Christ, then are we saying that this pre-incarnate Christ is slaying and killing thousands of men? Some would say, well, wouldn't that go against the nature of Jesus? Well, let's just say it's a different angel if we went with that. The angel we read about in Judges, why do you ask my name? That was Christ. Ain't no debate about that. You, you, you could, you could, you could throw an argument in my direction, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refute it, and I'm going to destroy it. Now, now, this angel, if one's opinion that this isn't Christ, no problem. I understand what a person would think. But, is it so far-fetched to think that Jesus Christ was not a soldier? I mean, I know we think of Jesus as the Lamb of God, but he's also the Lion of the tribe of Judah. I like to say it like this. There were times in the life of Jesus where he had to get a little gangster. Oh, he did. He definitely did. I'll give you a prime example. For example, you know, uh, uh, he, he reminded, you know, a lot of times they tried to kill Jesus. A lot of times. They tried to stone him. He's not there. It's like, he was just here. Where'd he go? Jesus one time had to set the record straight. He said, look here. I lay down my life. You don't take it from me. No one has the power to do that. Except the Father. 
Jesus said, I lay it down. You, you, you. In other words, he was saying, look here, stop trying to kill me because you can't do it. There was a time in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is, is praying and some soldiers come in and Jesus reminds them. He says, slow down. Now, I understand what you're here to do, but don't think that I can't pray to the Father. And he'll send right now 12 legions of angels. 72,000 to come in and wipe y'all out. Jesus had to remind Pontius Pilate, you don't have any power except that which has been given to you. Well, Jesus had to set some people straight. There's a scripture in Revelation 19.11. Let's go to Revelation 19. Revelation 19. Revelation 19, 11, when you have it, say, I have it. John says, now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he said, and he who sat on the white horse. He said, him was called faithful and true and in righteousness, what does he do? He judges and makes war. John said, Jesus, the Christ we all know, judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Now the armies in heaven, that, that's the context right there, armies. So this is not a peaceful discussion here. Now the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. John talking about Jesus right here. It's not Jesus coming to preach some sermon on the mount. He's coming to do two things, judge and make war. Here is a Jesus ready for battle. Jesus slaying the wicked. That's not anti-scriptural. Now, Go to the book of Joshua, chapter 5. I told you Jesus showed up a lot more in the Old Testament. Oh, and I'm going to prove it to you. And you, you, you you're going gonna to see something. You watch. Joshua, chapter 5. Joshua 5.13, are you there? Now, I'm showing you these verses because, as I said, there's some that would believe, well, the, if the angel of the Lord is the one that spoke to Abraham and that spoke to Hagar and spoke to 
Moses, it'd have to be the same angel that killed 185,000 soldiers. Well, not necessarily, but possibly it could be. Look here, Joshua 5, chapter 13. It says, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked and behold a man. Saw a man. A man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand and Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? Look at this answer. So he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, the traditional should say captain. Look what he says. This individual identifies himself as the commander of the army of the Lord. Very general statement. This individual just said, I run the army. Now, we know Michael, the archangel, is a warrior angel. And, and, and the scripture shows us in the book of Revelation that Michael and his angels deal with the dragon and his angels. But this is this is this is the scripture is very specific when it talks about Michael and his angels. Right here, we just have someone identifying himself as the commander of the Lord's army. He says, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? I told you, an angel of God should shun the worship and not receive it. Joshua falls on his face. Look what this commander says. Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. This guy doesn't show up ever again in the Bible. The, but he calls himself the commander or captain of the Lord's army. Jesus as a warrior is not a far-fetched notion. Jesus as a warrior, Jesus as a commander or captain of an army is right in line with scripture. So would it be far-fetched if the enemy cuts up and God looks over at his son and says, handle that? I want to show you something. Some places in scripture that give Jesus very unique angelic titles. Because some also say, oh my gosh, you're, you're bringing the son of man down to the level of an angel. But see, that's not the case. That's, that's not what we've read. We have identified an individual that serves in an office unlike any other angel. Look at 2 Peter 119. 2 Peter 119. 2 Peter 119, are you there? All right, it says, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now, if you've been paying attention to the lesson, we learned early on in the lesson that there are places in scripture where the word star is referring to angels or the angelic hosts. Stars. 
translates literally into a heavenly a heavenly body. Now, verse nineteen says something very interesting. It said, "The morning star." Well, the morning star, morning star, morning star, morning. That sounds like Lucifer. Lucifer translates into light bearer or morning star or day star. But what's very interesting about Second Peter one nineteen is that. It says until the day dawns, it says in the morning star, the morning star. Look at Revelation 2, 8. Revelation 2, 8. Okay, I don't know why I had you go there. Go to Revelation 22, 16. Revelation 22, 16. Now, the first part of this verse says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel. There's also a place in Daniel. Uh, you guys are familiar with, with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you're familiar with the fourth man in the furnace. And so the king looks and uh, uh, he makes the statement talking about God sent his angel to protect, you know, the three boys. But the, if you keep, continue reading down, uh, the verse literally refers to that fourth man as having the appearance of the son of man. It's the son of man. And, and what's very interesting is why would that title show up in the old covenant? And Jesus hadn't even been born yet. Look here, Revelation. So I don't believe that the angel of the Lord is God or Jesus' personal angel. I believe that the angel of the Lord is Christ, pre-incarnate Christ, Christ in the Old Testament. Watch this. Revelation 22, 16 says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. Then Jesus says who he is. Jesus says that I am the root. Jesus says I am the offspring of David. Jesus says I am the bright and morning star. Jesus called himself the bright and morning star. All right, let's take a quick break for a science lesson. Does anyone remember science class? If you can think back that far, which shouldn't be that far, but does anyone remember science class? Anyone remember astronomy? Yeah, basic astronomy. Well, I always knew about the sun. But I learned something about the sun when I got into school. And I found out that the sun is a star. But when I found that out, I was caught off guard because I didn't see how that made sense because all of the other stars that I saw, I only saw them when the sun wasn't present. So when the sun wasn't there and the sky was black, it would be filled with stars. So I knew that those were stars and I knew that was the moon. But when morning came, I wouldn't see the stars or the moon anymore because there was the sun. But when I went to school and got to science class, I found out that the sun is actually a star. Here's what's very interesting about 
the sun, would it be safe to say that the sun is the star you see in the morning? We could call the sun the bright and morning star. Jesus says, I am the bright and morning star. Turn to Malachi 4.2. And let's see if you catch this. Pick up on this. Malachi chapter 4. The Bible calls him the son of man. The Bible calls him the son of God. Spelled what? S-O-N. Malachi 4.2. Are you there? Watch this. It says, but to you who fear my name. What does it say? And how is son spelled? Wow. Wait a minute. The Bible just called him not only the S-O-N, but it called him the S-U-N. Jesus said, I'm the bright and morning star. Malachi 4.2 calls him the son of righteousness. With healing in his wings. All right, stay with me, stay with me. I'm going to cap it off right here. Look at John. If I'm going to say it's Christ, I have to have a very strong argument. Look at John 1.18. All of this is about to all tie in now. It's going to all tie in. Moses was looking at the bush. In the bush was the angel of the Lord. When the voice came out of the bush, sound like God. Moses says, oh, wait a minute, that's God. Let me hide my face. But Moses, you were already looking at the bush. The angel speaks to Gideon. Into the conversation, Gideon says, I looked upon the angel and I didn't die. Why would you say that, Gideon? Look here, John 1.18. John 1.18 says, first part, just the first part. It says what? No one has seen God at any time. No one. But didn't he look in a bush? It says no one has seen God at any time. All right. Look at first John chapter four, verse 12. First John chapter four, verse 12. Are you there? Beginning part of the verse says what? No one has seen God at any time. Okay. Stay in the same chapter. Drop down to verse 20. It says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom what? He has not seen. All right, three verses confirm no one has seen God. Turn to Genesis 32. Oh, I like this part right here. Turn to Genesis 32. Genesis 32. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. 
If we don't understand something, we're just not getting it. We just need an illumination of what we don't understand so we can understand it. Because I promise you it's going to make, it, just, it makes complete sense. We just read that no one has seen God. Did we not just read that? Billy, did we read it? No one has seen God at any time. Okay. Genesis 32, verse 24. Even though Moses was looking at a bush, was he not? Even though Manoah was looking right at a man and he asked him his name and the angel says, why do you ask my name? Gideon was right there in the presence of the angel of the Lord. Scripture says no one has seen God at any time. Watch this. So if no one has seen God and all these individuals have seen this person, what's going on here? Genesis 32, 24. It says, then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, I see the word man. It's a capital M. OK, what for? What is this? Some special man. Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Obviously, this man has some kind of power if he can touch the socket of a hip and it'd be out of place. Verse 26 says, and he said, let me go for the day breaks. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Why would Jacob ask some random man to bless him? What would Jacob know about a man to where I'm not going to let you go until you bless me? Verse 27. So he said to so he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he, the man, said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Hold up, wait. How can a man change your name? How can a man change your name? First off, how can a man bless you? And how can a man change your name? Two responsibilities of the father. But here's some man here in the earth realm that a man is wrestling with. And Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. And then the man says, OK, I'm going to change your name. No longer is it Jacob. Your name is now Israel. Latter part of verse 28, it says, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Oh, my God. Did you just read that? What did the man say? He said, you struggle with God and with man. How do you wrestle one person and the end result of that wrestling match be wrestling with man and God? How do you fight one person? And when the fight's over, the person that you fought said, guess what? Not only have you prevailed against man, but also God. The man said you just prevailed against God and man. Who is this man to make that statement? Verse 29, then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? Oh, my God, that question sounds similar, doesn't it? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. No man has seen God Amen. at any time. Jacob just said, I've seen God and my life is preserved. Why would he even say that? Are you still with me? Yes. Look at Exodus thirty-three, eleven. Okay, and now all the statements are going to make sense. The reason why Moses hid his face. The reason why Gideon said, I've seen the angel of the Lord and my life is preserved. 
The reason why Jacob said, I've seen God face to face and my life is preserved. It all makes sense right here. Look at Exodus 33, 11. Oh, my goodness. Oh, this Exodus 33, 11. Are you there? Oh, we got plenty of time. Exodus 33, 11. You're there? So the Lord. Okay, yeah, watch this. 33.11 says, the Lord spoke to Moses face to face. Hold up, I thought no man has seen God. As a man speaks to his friend, and he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. It is safe to say, the scripture says that the Lord spoke to Moses face to face, but in the same chapter. Jump over to verse 20. God is speaking, he says, but he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. Do we have contradictions here? Absolutely not. It all makes sense. First John 5, 7 says there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Spirit, and these three are one. The three are one. Scripture says no one has seen God at any time, but the Scripture also says the Lord spoke to Moses face to face. Scripture says no man has seen God at any time, but Jacob said I've seen God face to face. Real simple. There's the Father, there's the Word, there's the Spirit. The father said, if you see me, you die. That still leaves us two persons of the Godhead. All right. Look at John chapter eight. We're going to close it out right here. This particular segment, we're going to close it out right here. John eight fifty six. When you have it, say I have it. Oh, gosh, look at all throughout Scripture. The word just confirms that the three are one. They're one, but they serve a specific function. John 8, 56. Are you there? Jesus is speaking. He says, your father, Abraham, rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. Did you get that? Okay, if you didn't get it. It'll make sense right here. Jesus is speaking to Jews. Mind you, he's only about 30 something years old. And Jesus, who's only 30 something years old, speaks to Jews and says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. What? He's 30 something years old talking to the Jews and says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Does that even make sense? It does right here. And he saw it and was glad. And then the Jews said to him what most of us would have probably said. You have not yet. You are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was. I am. Before he was, I am. Jesus, you're 30 something years old. The I am statements were made way back then. We'll close it out right here. Keep your finger in John. Go to Genesis 17. Let's just go ahead and confirm that before Abraham was, I am. See, I took that literally. Here's what I mean when I say I, I took it literally. I don't think Jesus was was simply just saying that before before Abraham came into existence. Yes, he was talking about that, but he I believe more specifically is talking about here in Genesis 17. He said, before Abraham was, I am. Look at Genesis 17, verse 1. Are you there? 
It says when Abram at this point, what's his name? So his name is not what? His name is? When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram. I thought that man can't see God face to face. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am. And by the time we get to verse five, I am says your name's not Abram anymore. It's Abraham. Before Abraham was, I am. Stay in John chapter 14. Look at John chapter 14. And here it is. Here it is right here. John 14. Are you there? Verse nine. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the father. There it is. So now it makes sense. Yes, no man has seen the father. But if you've seen the son, you've seen the father. So now when Moses looks at the bush and doesn't die, when God said any man that looks at me will die, he doesn't die because he saw the son. And when you see the son, you see the father. The reason why the reason why Gideon didn't die when he saw the angel was because he saw the son. And when you see the son, you see the father. The reason why Jacob could wrestle with a man, see God face to face and his life be preserved is because he did not. His eyes did not view the father. They viewed the son. But Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the father. It all makes sense. Every appearance, anytime, watch this, anytime, because God is not a liar. So if God says that you can't look at me or you're going to die, then guess what? If you see the father, you're going to die. But how many times does the scripture say the Lord appeared? Well, don't forget that the Lord, uh, that God is the Lord and Jesus is the Lord. How do we know that? David uh, in Psalm says, the Lord said to my Lord, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That confirms that Lord God and Lord Jesus. So when it says the Lord appeared, the father has never left the throne. He's been sitting down ever since. He's never left the throne. But when the scripture says the Lord appeared, the son appeared. For example, in Genesis chapter 11, because God said no man can see me or he's dead. How come no man can see him? Sin cannot look upon God and live. No man can see me. So when in Genesis chapter 11, you know, when mankind is cutting up in the Tower of Babel's being built and the scripture says, let us go down there. It only requires two to be in us. The father stayed on the throne and the son and the spirit went down to confound the language. When the scripture says the Lord appeared. It's talking about Jesus. When someone saw the Lord face to face, it's talking about Jesus. And being that his word or his name is called the word of God. Now I know what the scripture means when it says God sent his word. You still with me? All right. Now, here's a here's a another little just side note. This is just something that this may not even be scriptural. I just did this on my own research. But I noticed the pattern. I noticed that the angel of the Lord, every single person that he spoke to was in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Here's what I mean. Matthew 1 1 tells us that this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. One of his titles is the son of Abraham. Every single person he spoke to had something to do with getting him here. 
He speaks to Hagar, who with Abraham gave birth to Ishmael. He speaks to Abraham. He speaks to Jacob, who was the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham. He speaks to Moses, whose mother was a daughter of Levi, who was the son of Jacob, who was the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham. He speaks to the children of Israel, the children of Jacob. He speaks to Gideon, who was the son of Joash, and to be his right, who dwelled in the land of Ophrah, which was the city of the tribe of the children of Benjamin, who was a child of Jacob, who was a child of Isaac, who was a child of Abraham. He speaks to Manoah, who was a Danite from Zorah, which was a city of the tribe of Judah, who was a son of Jacob, who was a son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham. Every single person that he spoke to can be traced back to Abraham. And this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of Abraham, son of David. The only other person that he spoke to outside of the genealogy was Balaam. And he specifically spoke to him because he was going to curse Israel. And then he ends up blessing them. He not he don't even like Israel. But he blesses them after an encounter with the angel of the Lord. All right, we're done with that guy. I was better this time than I've than I've done it before. I just must be something about New York. Maybe that's it. That's fun. That's fun. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. Appreciate that. Now, lessons far from over. I must, because see, you have to understand, see, You guys got yourself into something when you allow me to come here. This is just one of many subjects that, that I study, but, but if the Holy Spirit gives me something to study, I find everything that I possibly can about it. And I feel that it's important to share with God's people. It's not just because I'm the pastor that I, sh I get to hold information for myself. No, it's for you guys. So therefore, I know that the angel of the Lord was lengthy, but I had to have a very strong, concise argument to validate what I believe. And I don't believe it can be refuted. So now we're going to get into something else in the lesson, because, you know, you're talking about the spirit realm. Oh, you can't talk about the spirit realm and you can't talk about the angels without talking about demons. And guess what? I told you, you guys got yourself into something. You are about to hear the unadulterated, uncut truth about demons. Not all the stuff you used to. We're going to take it from the word. Because you see, the word demon gets thrown out there loosely. You know, we think a demon is doing something or put it like this. Or we think we think a demon is doing something and we give the work of a demon to one of Satan's angels. See, everything that was created, whether by God or perverted, has a function. So, for example, you know, I, just by habit, you know, if you're not, if you're not, if, if you're not exposed to, to, to detailed information, you're just going to have some thoughts about something. Like, I always figured out that God had angels and the devil had demons. 
I figure God lived in heaven and the devil lived in hell. So God and his angels get together in heaven to get ready for battle, and the devil in hell with his demons get together for battle. It's not the case. For example, the devil doesn't even live in hell. He's not even there. He's not interested. He has never seen Hades, nor will he ever see Hades. The only Hades he's seen would be the spirit identified as Hades in Revelation chapter 6, which is a whole nother argument because most people are not even, what are you talking about? There's a spirit named Hades? Yes, and it's a female. That's something else. Now, God has angels in his kingdom. God's kingdom consists of the word, the son, the Holy Spirit, the angelic hosts, and us regenerates, saved individuals. The devil's kingdom consists of himself, his angels, his demons, and unregenerates. You're either a child of God or a child of Satan. What is a demon? A demon is not an angel. A demon is not an angel. There, there, are, some, there are some, like I said, you, you, you'll do some things by habit. You know, like in Ephesians chapter 6. But we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and things of that nature. A lot of times people say those, you know, those are demon spirits. Those aren't demon spirits because there's a key phrase in that verse that lets you know it's dealing with angels. It says in the heavenly places. The heavenly places are up. What's a demon? A demon is a bodiless or disembodied spirit. What does that mean? They have no body. They have no bodies of their own. Now, the word demon uh, is, is some interesting Hebrew and Greek words. Some of them just too long. But it has numerous meanings. It means shaggy, fawn, devil, goat. Harry, kid, rough, satyr. In the Greek, the word can mean to be exercised by a demon, to be vexed with or possessed with a devil. The traditional says devils. It's referring to demons. It is also has a meaning of demonic being or devil or God, lowercase g. It can also mean demon or supernatural spirit of a bad nature. Now, we're going to go somewhere that you've read thousands and thousands of times. But I want to look at something. We're going to key in on something. Turn to Matthew 28. At the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have a commission. It's not that they're four separate commissions. We're really to take all the commissions and put them together to get the commission. But Jesus, you know, he says some interesting things in Matthew and in Mark. Now in Matthew, Matthew 28, verse 18, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. What did Jesus say? He says, I have all the authority. And he was real specific about it, wasn't he? He says, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. But right after he says it, he says, go. 
And then he tells us what to go and do in the name of. Well, the word go signifies the transfer of authority in the earth realm. Because what would be the purpose of Jesus having authority on earth when he's in heaven? He's at the right hand of the Father, sitting. That's all he's doing. He's sitting and observing. Right next to his Father, who's sitting and observing. Jesus has the authority in heaven. He says, if I'm the head and you're the body, then I'll cover authority in heaven. You cover authority on earth. So we now know that we have authority. Look at Mark chapter 16. We see the commission here in this place. I told you that a demon is a bodiless or disembodied spirit. Mark 16, are you there? We have the commission here. Verse 17 says, these signs will follow those who believe. He says, in my name, they will do something to demons. What did he say you do to demons? What did he say? What did he say? Jesus said that we would cast demons out. Well, if I'm going to cast the demon out, the demon first must be where? In. He said you cast them out. And that's all he said you do with them was cast them out. It might take a little time to cast some of them out. Some of them are stubborn. They can also recognize when one knows he or she has authority. Just like a predator can smell fear. So can demons. They know when you don't believe what you supposedly believe. Like in the exorcist. It shouldn't have taken two hours to cast the demon out. <laughs> but see, in that, in that movie, there were a lot of, uh, there were a lot of you know, rules like, you know, you have to do it this way. Well, Jesus just said right here, he didn't say anything about holy water. He didn't say anything about reciting something. He said, if you believe in my name, you'll cast them out. Now, he also says in certain scriptures, he says, this kind does not go out without fasting and prayer. Because some of the disciples, they couldn't cast them out. Jesus said, well, it's because of your unbelief. Don't just go jump into the battle. Get yourself prepared. But he said about the demon, he said that they cast them out. To cast something out, it first must be in. Nowhere in scripture do we find anything about casting out angels. You only hear about casting out demons. As a matter of fact, the highest concentration of demonic activity can be found between Matthew and Luke. You really don't find much, out, much about demons anywhere else in Scripture. The word is mentioned a few times, but to see how they work, to see their nature and character, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now, the Scripture said that we cast them out. No problem, okay? Let's see that in, in action. Look at Matthew 4, 24. We have to look at this because we have to identify the specific difference between angels and demons. Angelic activity is not the same as demonic activity. Both can be bound with the name of Jesus. But they're different types of spirits. 
All right. Matthew 4, 24, are you there? All right. It says, Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. The verse says that certain people were demon what? Possessed. Which means that a demon had control over that person. Okay? Look at Matthew 7.22. Jesus is speaking. He says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out. Cast out demons in your name. Stay in Matthew. Look at chapter 8, verse 16. It says, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were what? Demon possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a. I didn't see any of that sprinkling and no crosses and. I'm not I'm not speaking against it, but what's what's holy water? What makes water holy? What will make water holy? Well, we'll see. As far as I'm concerned, any water that a child of God is in is holy. Bible says God sanctified me. He set me apart. So the water is privileged to be in our presence. Any water I'm in is holy water. So it says demon possessed. Stay in that same chapter. Look at verse 28. When he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. What did we notice? It said demon-possessed men. So the man is there and the demon, except the demon has possession of the man. Verse 29, and suddenly they cried out, saying, what have we to do with you? Demonic possession means total control, so the demon is speaking. We see the man, but the demon is speaking. It says, what have we to do with you, Jesus, the Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? What's the time? Whatever it is, demons are afraid of it. I'm pretty sure I'm out of time. (laughs) So we'll pick up next time. Thanks for listening. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 945 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Or join us for Bible study on Thursday evenings at our fellowship office, 470 7th Avenue on the 6th floor, right in Herald Square. Thanks again for listening. And remember, walk by faith, not by sight.